Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker, coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me, as usual, my co-host from Brisbane, Australia, Lindsay Adams. Hello and welcome. For a value added extra, excellencepodcast.com has heaps of free resources for you to download. That is excellencepodcast.com. And our special guest today is Steve Sandor. Uh, Steve lives in Casuarina, uh, New South Wales. I have to make sure that you understand it's in New South Wales. I believe that Casuarina is a prison in West Australia. So uh, he's not coming to us from prison. He's coming to us from Casuarina, New South Wales. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, Lindsay. And uh, I, I will say that you did comment on my shirt as being quite bland. So I, I could either be a prison guard or a prisoner. I'm not sure. <laughs> One of those. So now, Steve, you're a business performance strategist. You've had an interesting career and you've had, there was a couple of things we were talking about before we started. So just give us a bit of a quick overview of the Steve Sandor story. Yeah, thanks, Lindsay. The I guess what started me on, on the journey where I ended up now was as a 32-year-old, I was recruited to the position that you would just dream of. It was the big salary big car, corner office. I was brought in as the change manager for the business. Uh, I was a little surprised that I'd been given the job because I had no experience in that particular area, but I had a good reputation amongst financial services in one area of financial services, and um, and this was in a completely different area. So I was brought in to kick heads, if you like, to change as we did in the 80s, you know, to change the yep. culture of the organisation. And I did just that. Uh, and I came in and I made significant changes. But in the process, what I did was I pretty much alienated everybody, including the managing director. And about three months in, I'd realised that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and in, a, in about six months' time, it was obvious that everybody had really... Uh, been pissed off and uh at about 18 months i got the sack now i reckon they were taught i reckon they were about six months too late i i, I reckon i should have gone a, a lot earlier and you know at 32 there's a lot of hubris it's not my fault you know the the spin that you take back to your friends sure uh you know all of that but what really what really hurt was the fact that not or very few people came and wished me well. I had alienated so many people. So my wife and I, uh, we had an opportunity to go and live overseas. We did that for about seven <laughs> months. And during that period of time, I started my emotional intelligence journey. So I did a lot of reading, a lot of listening to tapes as they were then. Um, we didn't have the luxury of podcasts. Showing your age a bit there, mate. Yes, yes. And talking to lots of people. So I came back made a decision that I would never behave like that again. And, you know, fast forward some 25 or 30 years, I ended up in Papua New Guinea uh, and I went up there to help uh, initially help a business uh, trans transform from a one-man band, 30-employee to a corporation. And it was during that period of time that I actually helped two very large businesses as a functional manager within the organisation. And we transformed the businesses. 
but what was the, I guess, the really satisfying part of all of that was when I left, there were tears, uh, not of sadness, um, but of joy that the fact that I'd, I'd left behind people who had, I'd, I'd empowered and given them the knowledge and skills to be able to do their job. So completely opposite from, you know, the 32-year-old um, go-getter to uh, the crusty old, you know, 60-plus-year-old who um, really cares for their, for their people. So that's my journey. So, Steve, you know, something struck me and I was looking and doing some research around your website and things like that. And you talk about the three P's of business being product, process and people. And the common element in all your experience is the third one, the people, you know. So, so let me pose to you this. You were brought in at age 32 to change for, for change management. Is some 30 years ago, were change managers really focused on the people aspect or is that why you, you ended up alienating the entire workforce? Yeah, I, don't, I, th I think the 80s was very much greed is good. You know, there was, a, there was a, um, a movie written about it and the performance indicator that you were all measured on was how, what, what sales and profit you could bring to the, to the business. People were a commodity, uh, and I don't know that that it was that we cared very much for our people. I, I know I certainly didn't feel cared by by the people who were managing me. And the, I guess the difference between back then and and now is that there is a different. I feel that there's a different mood amongst the amongst corporate. I hope at least that there's a different um, thinking around corporate and that they're valuing people more. Okay. I mean, ultimately, I think everyone in change management space, and I do a lot of work in the corporate culture space today, are very much focused around people first. You know, if you don't have the people on board, no matter how good your products or your processes, the business is sort of doomed to failure. Yeah. So yeah, carry on, sorry. Well, I, I was going to sort of follow up, I guess, my comment about, and I'm hoping that corporate will, um, that values their employees more, or at least that's the where we're heading. But I often hear that, you know, businesses say, my people are my greatest asset. And, and then I go, oh, right, okay, well, where are they on the balance sheet then, if they're your greatest <laughs> asset? Because they're actually on the liability side. <clears throat> So that's a little that's a little rubbish. That's a little bit of rubbish there. So Steve, you you know you said you you did your emotional intelligence journey. You went to PNG, and when you left, uh, you know you're a, a changed person perhaps, or, or have a, a had a different outlook approach to business. So how has that impacted the work now you're doing with here back in in Australia? Yeah, it's I, it's no different. Um, I'm surprised. To be honest, that um, that businesses in Australia are no different to the businesses in PNG in terms of their emotional intelligence. I, I I'd always thought that you know Papua New Guinea, um, it's a young country. The people in the country are very very willing to learn. 
but they're young. You know, they're, they're the oldest of the management are, you know, probably 30 years in, in, in management um, and typically at a, at a supervision or supervisory level. So what I am surprised is the level of uh, or the lack of, of leadership and management skills that exist here, particularly in the small in the small business area. And I was having a conversation with someone today about the skills required to run a business. So if you're a manager in a large organisation that has got, let's say, 5 million turnover, you've got 30 employees, you're a small division within a large organisation. To be able to be appointed to that job, you need a a breadth of management skill. Um, you know, you need to at least have some understanding of the functional lines. And you'll probably have somewhere between 10 and 15 years experience going through, you know, the core of or the spine of a business. So you, you might be an engineer and you've built that skill level up. And small business owners typically have got the core skill of their functional line but they don't have necessarily the breadth of knowledge across all aspects of, of business. And so what I'm seeing is that, that there's a lack of leadership, if you like. Let me ask you, so the interesting question. My 17-year-old my son last night sat down with me and said, you did your MBA and I dated myself. I did my MBA 30, 33 years ago. And he said, as an entrepreneur, was it worth it? And it was a very interesting question based on what you're saying, this lack of leadership, you know, and breadth. And, and I try to explain to him that when I did it, I chose to do the MBA with a view to learning about all those different things in the business. I didn't go there to become a corporate manager. And, um, you know, so, so I guess because I had a different approach, I learned some stuff out of it. From your experience, do you think you can truly create leaders or do people really have to have this burning desire to be a, to want to be a leader first? Oh, that's a really deep question, isn't it? <laughs> um, so uh, are leaders born? That's the question. There's a great podcast called uh, Promoting Somebody Else's Podcast, Dave Stahoviak. Yeah. And... and uh, um, uh, you know, the, he, he he talks about that. Are are you actually a born leader, or can you can you be can you grow into a leader? I think it's a choice to start with. Um, I, I think there's a there, there needs to be an underlying um, premise that you care about people to be a leader. I think that's the key. If you're trying to get the best out of somebody by beating them, um, you know, it's the carrot and stick um, approach. I don't know that that works anymore. Uh, I, I don't know that it ever worked, but it but it was obviously, you know, one of the management tools. I think there's a misconception that if you care about somebody, that it's a there's an element of weakness or or vulnerability in that, and I think. That's exactly what you need to be able to gain the respect of the people who are around you. So you can't you can't ask for respect. You can't ask people to follow you. You can only lead by 
example, um, you care for people, you nurture them, you have a you have an approach. I, I use the example of my children. You know, Raul, you you talked about your son. I've got four children. Um, I love them dearly, and I've now got um, you know of a couple of weeks ago, I now have a grandchild. Oh wow! Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, and that's a very that's going to be a really interesting um, and fun ride to watch. But I talk about you know I love my children. Am I proud of them all the time? No, no. They misbehave. Are they proud of me all the time? No. I do things that they look at me and they go, "Dad, you know what?" So if you take that, but but you know if if they misbehave, I don't send them next door and go, right, that's it, you're done, um, you know, I'm going to send you next door, I'm going to send you out to adoption um, because I can't stand you anymore. You know, you've done this wrong if thing. If only so it was that simple, Steve. If it was only that simple. Um, <laughs> if, if you didn't love them, well, maybe that is an approach, you know, maybe that is a, that, that's your strategy. So in the corporate world, I, I, I was talking with a, a very senior uh, managing director of, a, of an insulting organisation. And he was the very first person that I've heard at that level talk about love in the corporate sense. Because up until now, I think if you, if you said to somebody, I love you in the, in, the, in the workplace, you know, the HR department will become straight down on top of you. So I use the word value, right? So I value you. Accept that the behavior that you have is an appropriate form of behavior. So my approach in that situation is to have a conversation very early in the piece with the person who I'm, who I, who I have in my charge, and I and I use that word deliberately, because they're actually in my charge. I have a responsibility to them to make sure that they've got the right skills, rather that they've got the capacity to do whatever I'm asking them to do. And if they don't have those things, it's incumbent upon me to be able to do that because I care. I want to make sure that they have a you know they have, um, a, they they come to work and they enjoy doing what they're doing. But but if they don't behave in an appropriate way, then I think what we've lost is the ability to have that difficult conversation with people. So what we do is we spend four hours crafting a very, you know, well-designed email and we send it off to them. And that, that's our communication. Whereas, in fact, the, 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 more, the more courageous thing to do is to actually confront the person, have that conversation with them, and talk about how can I support you? How did you get to this point where you're behaving like this when we know that that's not in the culture of the organisation? So how can I support you to, you know, so that we can, that, that you can have a better outcome? So, Steve, do you think that that's a product of the techn technological age that we live in? I mean, you know, technology has really affected our uh, leadership management style, hasn't it? Is, do you think that's a byproduct or...? Another really deep question there, Lindsay. Um, I was having a conversation with my son and his girlfriend last night, and I asked that very question about has how has social media changed the way that you communicate? And from their point of view, they use it as, if you like, a, a, a mechanism by which to keep in contact, but they still use conversation to communicate. Right. So, so the difference is social media. I think what we've what what we've been led to believe is that social media is communication, when in fact it's information. 
and Ooh. social media has the dopamine drop you know when you when your name is mentioned or when you hear that ping on your phone that's what they're trading on right they're trading on you wanting to be liked and that's the dopamine dump um but in my world it's communication that is the uh, the difference if you like and it would be really you know an interesting experiment for us to run this podcast um through a written exchange right it would be really really difficult because you don't get the you don't get the nuances of communication you know you don't get the eye movement or the you know the the signals from the, from the other person and so you know the best form of communication is verbal um face to face or telephone you know on 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 the back end of it um and so i think we've lost that art of being able to communicate particularly in that really difficult conversation and and the other thing i think we've lost is craftsmanship you know when i first started in in my career i had i had very fortunate that i had two or three mentors who who really took me under their wing um and helped me at different levels and 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 they what they did was one, one was a sales manager and i always remember this that he just took me under his wing and and he taught me his craft and i think today what we have is we have the that we have the education, the LMS, you know, go on when you're onboarding. Here's all of the videos that you can watch. You know, you get all the product knowledge, all the rest of it, but you don't get the nuance. You don't, you know, you don't get the feeling of the organisation. So if you have somebody there who's, who's their job is to, is to pass on the baton, if you like, and that craftsmanship, I think that's what we've lost. Yeah, I love that as a concept. I think you, you, it's very accurate. And, um, you know, interesting, we, we record the podcast using Zoom so we can see each other. And, you know, you mentioned about the facial expression. I mean, I can see you while you're speaking, but our listeners can only hear us. So it, it sort of takes out something, doesn't it? Mm. And, and the other thing, um, you know, I'm, I'm holding up my mobile phone now. These things have, I think, buggered communication roundly and soundly uh, at so many levels it ain't funny that but but you know have a look around <laughs> the three people on this podcast right so we are of a different generation yeah but yeah I, well, there's but, a lot of gray hair happening isn't yeah, there yeah yeah so so i often you know I, I mentioned that when we go out as a family um and we're all sitting i've got four kids and they you know they're, they're partners we'll sit around and 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 i make the comment that the first person who looks at their phone pays the bill <laughs> i love that one yeah <laughs> and, and they never do but you know <laughs> but what it does is it forces us to put the phone down and there's an awareness then that what we're trying to do is have an exchange um you know so that's really it would be really sad wouldn't it if if you're all sitting around the table and and the phone came out and everybody started well looking at their phone and you know, i'm going to share this story and I've, I've shared it more than once from from the conference platform but we, we used to have a lovely tradition in our family uh, called friday night family night before that our kids had before my grandchildren arrived so there was just the kids they would come home on friday night we'd have a catch-up you know we'd have dinner together 
And um, the, the rule was you, you could eat and run or you could eat and stay. We didn't mind. And it was just lovely, you know. And then when the grandkids came, life became more complicated. And that's sadly, it's fallen by the wayside. Anyway, one Friday night, uh, we're sitting around the kitchen table. My wife, Debbie's in the kitchen preparing a meal. And, and I hear this voice and it's her voice. And she says, oh, should I get my phone out? And I look up and there's me, my daughter and her husband, my son and his wife, we're all looking at our mobile phones, not talking to each other. So I don't know who's going to pay the bill that night, my friend. But, uh, in fact, no, I was paying the bill. But you know what I mean? Like, well, there's a uh, like Simon Sinek is, you know, he he he's, he's built a career around all of this, right? So one one of his famous speeches around how millennials use social media. But I think there's some value in you know leave your when you start a meeting, leave your phone out outside. Because what happens is that you come in and you start a meeting and because you're waiting for the meeting to start, everybody's preoccupied at looking, you know, checking text messages and emails and, you know, what's, you know, what's on YouTube, whatever. Whereas if you didn't have it there, you'd be forced into either a silence, which, and that's okay too, there's, you know, there's comfortable silence, or you start to engage with the people, you know, how was your weekend? So... So, Steve, let me ask you, and, and we, you talk about people getting caught up in technology and phones and stuff, but, but let's, let's, let's sort of circle back to, to, to you know, business, you know, how, how do we make business more excellent, which is, I guess, the theme of this podcast. What are business owners caught up with on a day-to-day basis that stops them kind of getting onto the helicopter and doing the strategic overview. Nera have written this really interesting um, or produced this really interesting report that related to um, the current circumstances, specifically around uh, small business owners. And there were three um, glaring findings. The first one was people are worried about finances, um, not enough cash flow or too much cash flow. You wouldn't think that you'd have, you know, a problem with too much cash flow, but it's delivering the service. The second was uh, people, you know, keeping, finding and keeping good people. And the third was the guilt of being at home when you should have, where you think you should be at work and the guilt of, you know, being at work or th- being at home and thinking that you should be at work and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and they were they were the th- they were the three findings. And I've I've actually I've written a, a an article about it. And and to your point, Raul, it's I think you know we we say to business owners you need to let go of control. Rubbish. You need to be in control. You know, you, you, you actually need the control mechanisms around you that enable you to feel the confidence to be able to run your business. You need the dashboard. If you haven't got a dashboard of your business that says, you know, here are my finances, this is what my people, this is where my people are at, these are my debtors, this is my income, this is the activity that we have, then how can you have the confidence to run a business? As a general manager, when I was a general manager in large organisations, that was the first thing. You know, you would report on your metrics. So as a small business owner, it, it, there are plenty of CFOs around who will do this in their sleep. They'll create a dashboard for you. It won't cost you a lot of money and you'll, you know, you'll have data coming in. So, so get control. The next thing is, is earn the, 
So create an environment where you're able to delegate to your staff. Now, that requires trust. It requires trust from them to you. Everybody goes, oh, you need to trust your staff. I believe it's the other way around. Your staff won't won't come into the void unless there is a void for them to enter. Right? So if you're continually the person who's solving the problems for them, then why would they why would they do that? You know, Ken, Ken Blanchard wrote that, you know, the brilliant book of, you know, the um, the one minute manager meets the monkey, you know, and the monkey's on my back. And so the the employee brings in, the monkey jumps off their back onto my back, right? And, and so all of a sudden now it's my problem, not their problem. So don't let the monkey jump off their back onto yours. And the way you do that is that you give them the skills that they need to be able to do the job that you're asking them to do. And they get really good at delegating, get really good at coaching. And coaching is getting the the assumption when you're coaching is that the person has the answer already and they know they know the solution. They're just lazy and they coming to you for an answer. So get them to solve the problem themselves. That takes time and effort and an investment. And if they don't know the answer, there's some training that needs to be done. That's great. That's you know, that's the result. But that requires intention behind it. And so what the business owner is, is they're stuck in they're stuck in the doing and they believe that that's where they need to be. And that's okay if you're a freelancer and you've got two people working for you. Great. They're your hardest. But if you've got 20 staff, it's just unsustainable. You'll burn out. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um I've got one eye on the clock, Steve, and I'm I'm sorry to say this, mate, but we're we're pretty much done out of time. Really interesting conversation. I think we could go on for another another 25 minutes. Uh, but should our listeners want to get in touch with you and explore um, your your role as a business performance strategist and how that might help them in their business, what's the best way for them to contact you? Um, the website www.inspiringbusiness.net um, that's probably the best place for them to go to have a look to see whether we're a good fit or not. Um, uh, they can email me at steve at inspiringbusiness.net um, and uh, my LinkedIn profile is probably the other opportunity Perfect. to do that. Well, thanks again for your time today, Steve. Thank you very much, Steve, for being a great guest on today's episode of the Business Excellence Podcast. Thank you, Lindsay Adams, my co-host from Brisbane. This is Arail Bricker signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast with a reminder to pop along to excellencepodcast.com where you can download a number of free resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.